In preparation for today's message, we shall be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 1, verses 6 to 14, and chapter 2, verses 1 to 38. Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 14. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 38. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these? who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues, speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others were mocking and saying, They are full of sweet wine. But Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, 
that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth of my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will grant wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs, which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know. This man, delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death, since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. For David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is on my right side, or my right hand, so that I will not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh also will live in hope, because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. And so, because he was a prophet and knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne, he looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was neither abandoned to Hades nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus... God raised up again, to which we are all witnesses, therefore having been exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand, until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God was made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Praise God for the reading of His Word. We can now all take our seats. Last Sunday's message, I would say, would be a key and important message for our church. The title of last Sunday's message was Key Elements of the Gospel. There we study Luke's version of the Great Commission. Matthew had a version of the Great Commission, which was Matthew in the last part of Matthew, Matthew 28. And there was Luke. Luke's version of the Great Commission is found in Luke chapter 24, verses 44 to 49. 
And the Lord Jesus said to them, I'm preaching this to you because this has a connection to our sermon today. Jesus said to his disciples that he was, he opened the mind of his disciples, stating that in the Old Testament, in the scriptures about himself, meaning that Jesus Christ is indeed what? In the Old Testament. The Old Testament was a preparation of the coming of Christ. And the book of Hebrews would say that they were a shadow. Therefore, we find Christ all over the Old. In the New Testament, it is clear that he is indeed the center. But the Old Testament? So Jesus explained, the Lord explained that to his disciples. So what can we conclude there in last Sunday's sermon? That Christ is the center of God's plan, both old and new. And in presenting the gospel, we must present that Christ is the center of God's plan, especially for the salvation of the souls of men. Then Jesus said, I suffered, it's, I suffered, I died and rose again. It was necessary for the Christ to go through that. And you are my witnesses. So he said to his disciples that they were to be the witnesses of this. What did they witness? They saw him alive. They saw him suffer. They saw him die. And they saw him resurrected from the dead. And that witness we've received until today in this day and age. And we proclaim that. Kaya sabi nga po natin, wag natin pagsasawaan yung suffering, death, and resurrection. Because without that, we are, we are just like any other religion which says just do good to your neighbor, love one another, uh, just take care of one another. We are no different from any religion without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. What makes us different as well, what, what makes Christ different is other religions would say you must do this to qualify in Christ, nobody is qualified. That is why he had to step in, sacrifice himself. The innocent Lamb of God, who had no sin, is the only one who can be a replacement for sinners. He is qualified. We are not. Therefore, Jesus said in Luke 24, verse 47, Proclaim what? Repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He told his disciples to proclaim this in every ethne, every nation. The word nation is the word ethne in every tongue, tribe, and nation. What should we proclaim? His suffering, death, and resurrection. Key elements of the gospel. And then what? What do we expect from people? Repentance. Take note, this is the direct command of the Lord. Luke's version of the Great Commission is somehow ignored by many. But we should take a look at it carefully. What should we proclaim after the death and resurrection of Jesus? We must proclaim repentance. Jesus did not say proclaim acceptance to all the nations of the world. Tell all the nations of the Lord to receive me and bow down their heads and say the sinner's prayer or go to an altar call. He did not say that. Specifically, he said that repentance for forgiveness. 
And repentance means not only feeling sorry for your sin, it's not just about sin, it's about everything. The word repentance is a change of mind, a change of perspective. So a person who truly repents, truly believes. What does that mean? I change my mind, not just of my sin. That's one part of it. It's about everything. That is repentance. So we see in the Sermon of Peter, when the Holy Spirit has come, the key elements were there as Jesus instructed. He spoke about that the Christ had to die, and God raised him from the dead. And then when the people were cut to the heart, what did they, when they asked, what shall we do? Then Peter said, repent. And then he included, be baptized, which was similar to what John did, John the Baptist did, in terms of being buried, dying to self. We go now to the sermon, the birth of the church. Today's sermon, the birth of the church. The apostles asked the Lord concerning the restoration of the kingdom of Israel. But the Lord took their mind away from it. The Father has set the times and the seasons. The disciples did not need to know all the Father had planned. Take note. They didn't have to know, including us. We don't have to know everything that God had planned. They were to focus on the essential part of their mission. And it was not about their politics, not about their nationality, not about Israel's dominion, having its own land and having dominion over other nations. It was not about that. Of course, the disciples in their history remembered the golden age of David and Solomon. And they so wanted that to be back. If we read in verse 6 and 7, Acts chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, so it says here, So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. So please do not be so bothered. Is it the end of the world? Let the end of the world come. If you're faithful in Christ, are you afraid to die? If you're faithful in Christ, are you so afraid of judgment day? There's nothing to be afraid of. It's not for you to know times or seasons. Of course, in seminary, we study what we call the last days, a subject called eschatology. And you know what I've learned from studying the different positions? Even the scholars do not agree. It means God has allowed something great to happen because we are not supposed to focus on that. But one thing is clear. To all the nations, we must proclaim his death, his resurrection, and we must proclaim repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The focus of the apostles was to be on the next step. They would receive the promised Holy Spirit. Then they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem and to the farthest parts of the earth. The apostles were witnesses to the teachings, life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. The concern of the disciples after they received the Holy Spirit was to be witnesses. Witnesses. They saw something. They heard something. They have to be a witness of that. Nothing was more important. 
And in verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth, which has some alignment to Luke chapter 24. Why is it aligned? Because it's the same author. The writer of the book of Acts and the book of Luke is Luke the faithful companion of Paul the Apostle. He was a physician. And uh, mind you, he wasn't just a physician. Studying Luke and Acts, comparing it to the other writings of, for example, Mark, Luke wrote in such a way that he followed a certain strict pattern in, ter in writing history. You see, if you become a scholar, whatever field you are, we are taught a certain pattern of research. We are taught certain methodologies. We are taught certain ways to analyze things. So you know if somebody wrote, if it's a scholar or not. Luke was also a scholar. He was a, a writer, a historian. So when Luke says there was healing, I'd rather believe him. Why? It's a doctor speaking. All right? I believe him when he says this when he was with Paul the Apostle and there was healing and he wrote it, of course, the other parts, he was not a direct witness. He heard it from the stories of the other apostles and the other companions of the apostles. The Lord Jesus spoke his last words to the apostle, apostles before his ascension. He revealed to them of the power they would receive when the Holy Spirit comes upon them. And he pronounced them to be his witnesses, after which he ascended until a cloud hid him from their sight. And this is known as the ascension. And uh, different Christian religions know and affirm the ascension of Jesus Christ, that he bodily rose from the earth and hidden in the clouds to sit at God's right hand. In verse 9 it says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. That is in verse 9, chapter 1 of Acts. And you know what? Some of the apostles may have felt melancholy because he was leaving again. I mean, you just showed us you rose from the dead, and now you're leaving again. And he planned to leave because... Somebody must replace him after he leaves bodily. It's the Holy Spirit. And he said that, I go away so I can send the promise to you. And John has spoken a lot about that. And uh, the coming of the Spirit, the one big difference was the disciples were with Jesus. This time the Spirit will be within the disciples. And there is a difference. There is a big difference with having Jesus as a physical companion and the Spirit of God residing within the believer. And while the apostles watch him disappear in the air, two men in white, probably angels, assured them that the Lord Jesus would come again in the same way that he left. Let's read verses 10 and 11. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, sky while, he, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. They also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus 
who has been taken up from you into heaven will come just in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. That is why we do believe in a physical coming back of the Lord. Now, when that will happen, God knows. But so many have tried to predict, even though the Lord already said, not only about Israel, but there are things that the Father only knows. But many men, humans, tried to predict His coming for several times. And one actually became a cult because he said he arrived, but he didn't show himself. He only showed himself to me. How convenient. And until today, many are so deceived by hearing about somebody pretending to be a scholar about the coming of the Lord. Not you, please. Ever. Okay? If you send me again what I think, I'll tell you what I think, plain and simple. And some of you, I'm glad you still sent it rather than you believing it. Some videos, <laughs> and I said, his way of interpreting scripture is all even all wrong. He doesn't even know the basics. It's not for you to name times and seasons. He will come back. At the appointed time, we are to keep busy with a mission. As simple as that. As simple as that. Stop asking and just do the work. If you're asking what you should be doing now, focus on the mission, which is what? Proclaim repentance for the forgiveness to all ethne. It's not just about surviving the crisis. It's not just about surviving the day-to-day -day life. I know we're into pressure. I know we have pressure in life. All of us have that. But what is the command? We are still to do something. I know the politics in this nation seems so crazy. Not only here, also in America. But what's the mission? We stay focused on that. The next thing to do was wait in Jerusalem. Thus they traveled back from the Mount of Olivet to the upper room in Jerusalem. There were 11 of them who would meet the earthly family of Jesus. Verses 12 and 13, let's read that. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That was Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. We go to verse 14. These all were one with one mind, what did they do? They were continually, continually devoting themselves to prayer. Okay, prayer is key, and that's what I want to share to you. Prayer, along with the women, and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Jesus had brothers, right? You think it's... They're talking about the brothers of Jesus? 
his brothers. Uh, technically, you know how to read, right? His brothers. Are they talking about Mary? That Mary's brothers were there? His brothers. So, they waited and prayed. While waiting for the promise of the Spirit, they prayed. Now again, among churches, there's so much controversy about the Holy Spirit. This is my position. Keep praying and let the Spirit work. Just let the Spirit work. Keep praying. Now, this is not a classroom. Therefore, I will not present to you the different positions at this time because it will take all morning. But suffice it to say that what? What did they do is what they could do was to pray. Because the Spirit of God has not come to the world yet to indwell the men, to indwell the followers. Of course, in the other places that they planted churches, the same thing did not always happen. It happened again at least twice, found in the book of Acts. But in other places, two locations, yes, in other locations, there was no record. So what do we say? Oh, praise God, if you experience the power of the Spirit, go and what? You shall receive power and do what? Be a witness. So what are you waiting for? Stop talking about it and go preach the gospel. Go preach repentance and faith. Stop preaching to the choir. Go out and preach. The number of those praying grew to 120. That's found in Acts 15. Then they would take a break. They would be praying, continually praying, and then they would take a break for what purpose they had to choose a replacement for Judas Iscariot. Now, Judas was a popular name during that time. That's why there are times you will read in the Bible, Judas, parenthesis, not Iscariot. They had to distinguish from that person. Uh, not Iscariot. So, but Judas Iscariot had to be replaced, and Matthias replaced Judas Iscariot. But they grew to 120. When the day of Pentecost came, the Holy Spirit filled each one. And they spoke in foreign languages as the Spirit gave utterance. And we've read that in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. The first manifestation of the Spirit included tongues of fire. I could imagine it floating fire upon each one. And then they were able to speak a language that was understandable by the crowd outside. They were in the upper room, and the crowd gathered outside. So they spoke in a language that could be understood. Is that clear? Is it possible that somebody has a language that cannot be understood by men? Yes, yes, it's also found in 1 Corinthians 14. But in this case, what happened here was very unique. Very unique. And then when we say Pentecost, it was a festival on the 50th day after the Passover. You remember, remember the Passover when in Egypt? You were with us when we studied Exodus. They had to kill a lamb, paint their doorposts and the top of their door with blood so that the angel of death would skip over. So it's like a Passover. The blood of the lamb had to be painted. So they celebrate, the Jewish people celebrate the Passover. Now, Pentecost is the 50th day after the Passover, meaning they have traveled from Egypt. They celebrate these things. 
Now, devout Jews from different nations came to celebrate. And during their stay, some of them witnessed the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the disciples. And they heard the disciples speaking their native language. So they would be person from Egypt, Jewish people from Egypt who visited Jerusalem would say, oh, guy speaking Egyptian, oh, but he's a Galilean. They, they're not so, they're not very multilingual Galileans, but how come this guy knows that? Uh, and then somebody from Pontus, somebody from Phrygia, Pamphylia uh, would come. Some would be Parthians, some would be Medes and, and uh, Cretans, and uh, some from Rome. And they say from different locations in the Roman Empire, as they thought was all nations. But we know that their geography then was limited. When Christ meant all nations, it's not just within the Roman Empire. But the Roman Empire is those that they say all nations, according to the author, as he believed to be all nations, would be the Roman Empire. You see, that's why Philippines is not here, all right? Because Rome never reached our shores. The supernatural event astonished the visitors. And some of them said, they're full of sweet wine. But Peter had to make a defense. No, 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 we are not drunk. We are not drunk. We are not drunk. And then he explained what? The gospel. Then if you look there, there was a story there in Peter's sermon that you do not find Christ explaining in the book of Luke, Matthew, or Mark, not even John. There are some parts there that were not clearly evident. Where did that come from? During that part in Luke chapter 24, verse 44, when Jesus opened their minds. You see, there's a segment there that we don't know. But this is post-resurrection lecture. Pre-resurrection lecture was Jesus making disciples. And what's the standard of being disciple? a disciple? It's Christ showing his authority over demons and, 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 uh, ex and counter-teaching counter the Pharisees that was the pre, those were pre-resurrection lectures. Now, this was a post-resurrection lecture, but we know little about. Now, where are they? It's written in the New Testament, as explained. Some of them will be revealed in Acts. Some of them would explain it in their letters. How Christ, the other explanations of, that's why we, we study it in James, in 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. We see it even in the writings of Paul. And remember in Galatians 2, Paul exchanged notes with Peter uh, just to check if they're preaching the same thing. And the apostles, including Peter, affirmed what he was, was teaching. So here, Peter preached history because what? Christ is the center of the Old Testament. But he focused on who? David. Because the Israelites, the Jewish people were looking for the coming of David. That's why Jesus said, not only the Old Testament and the prophets, not only the law and the prophets, but also the Psalms. Meaning, David wrote many mystical things. Mystical things that are hard to understand. Like, the Lord said to my Lord, what? Who's David's Lord? David has a Lord, and there's another Lord being spoken of, who will sit at the right hand, so David wrote in the Psalms many mystical things 
that was clearly explained by Christ to his disciples, and the disciples, including Peter, preached that. So what is the significance of this story for believers today? First, the Lord does not want his disciples to be concerned about the times and seasons that the Father has set. The Father has set what will unfold. Be at peace and trust the will of God. What should we do? Fulfill the work of God. Life is not just about living your life here and providing for your own and one day you die. The gospel is not about your self-esteem. Jesus didn't say, okay, when you preach to all the nations of the world, do this. Say this. God loves you and he has a wonderful plan for your life. He didn't say that. He didn't say, okay, when you go into all the world, say this. Uh, uh, everything's going to be all right. Jesus will take all your problems away. Hallelujah. Did he say that? There was no guarantee that your problems will go away. He never presented a man-centric gospel. That it is about you. Now, the problem if preachers like me and some of you, when we were stubborn then, hopefully we're no longer stubborn now, when we would preach so that others would just come to him, we'll do every salesman technique for them to come to the Lord, to get them to accept the message, to get them to pray the sinner's prayer. We were trained like insurance and real estate agents to convince them with every facet under the earth. Instead of saying, you know, Jesus had to die because we are guilty. Instead of saying, we must turn away from our sins and change the way we think about life. We didn't say that. Many of us didn't. And many came to the Lord. Came to the Lord. So what happened? They're believing, oh, Jesus will take all my problems away. Everything's going to be all right. Oh, it's about peace. It's about joy. Uh, peace is there, joy is there, but that's not the main focus. Uh, they died with a lot of peace in their hearts. Stephen died, was martyred with a lot of peace in his heart, I believe. He saw a vision of Christ. Uh, but that doesn't mean he won't have problems. It's not about that. So when somebody receives a gospel of joy and peace about me, it's about me. So what happens when problem happens? They immediately say, what? Lord, bakit nangyari to Lord? Ba't mo ko hinayaan? Kala ko ba, pag lumapit ako sa'yo, magiging okay na buhay ko? First, it was the fault of the preacher, whoever he was. I was guilty and I am ashamed. But some are not ashamed. They wouldn't even justify, no, it's okay. <sighs> Shame on you. The word is clear. You add so much to what's in the Word. Sinabi nga. So what's the emphasis? Death, suffering, death, resurrection, repentance for forgiveness. That's the emphasis. Do not cloud it. Do not cloud it. Sorry, going back. It's not for you to know times and seasons, so please do not be afraid. Is it the end of the world? When it comes, let it come. All right? Can we smile when it comes? Amen. Hallelujah. Right? Uh, I don't want to die. 
but I'm not afraid to die. There's a difference, okay? I'm not looking for death. But if it's God's time for me, I'm not irresponsible not wearing a mask going outside. I'm not looking for death. That's not the attitude. But we do the work of God unafraid. If it is time, then it is time. We embrace that. One thing guaranteed, oh, by the way, some of you may be asking, it's Peter's sermon says the last days. Is it the last days in the book of Acts? Uh, well, yes. Yes, when, you, when we, we use the Jewish term. What's the meaning of the Jew when you say last days? It's not the same as we think last days in our modern way of thinking. Last days is the end of, end, end of times for us. The end of all things, the new Jerusalem, the new earth. You know, for them, when they say last days, it's as opposed to the days of promise. The last days means for them the days of fulfillment. So what? Jesus came, everything promised by the prophets, the shadow of the law, the foreshadowing of the law has come to pass in Christ. That was the day of fulfillment. Those were the days of fulfillment. Until today, these are the days of fulfillment still. Why? We live in the promise who is Christ himself. So that's the per one perspective of last days. So when you're reading the Bible, when it says they're last days, what does it mean in that context? For Jewish people, that's what it meant. It means the days of fulfillment as opposed to the days of promises. Because in the Old Testament, those were the days of promise. Now was the day of fulfillment. We are in the days of fulfillment. That's why we have to finish the work. Their focus was to wait on the Spirit, to be His witnesses. I do believe when you come to the Lord, genuine, if there's true repentance, meaning the Lord has drawn you to Him, drawn you to Christ, if there's real repentance, a real change of perspective, you want to align to Scripture, that's a clear sign of it. And suddenly your desires change. It is the work of the Spirit. Then what should we do? Let's finish the work. You know how to preach. You, you heard last Sunday's sermon. Whatever way you approach it, those are the emphasis. Can we preach that God can give us peace? Of course you can. Can we preach that if you're heavily burdened, you can come to grace? Of course you can. But that's not the emphasis. You can begin with that. But you have to end up clarifying we are guilty. We are sinners. We deserve to be punished eternally. No one is qualified. A person who thinks, I'm not too bad. I have some good works. I'm not too bad. Clearly, that person does not understand the gospel. One sin, one gossip, one evil thought, one lustful thought makes us guilty, all of us. One sin calls you a sinner. Just like one murder, a person is called a murderer. You don't, I only killed once. Don't call me a murderer. Come on. I mean, others have done it regularly. Uh, I only did it once. Foolish logic. A sinner is a sinner. And we can never work our way to being received in heaven. We cannot work our way receiving forgiveness. By what? Outweighing doing a lot of the good things. To be moral. 
we are not moralistic people, though we believe in morality. We believe morality should be a fruit of what? A true, humble repentance before God. A true, humble repentance saying, I am guilty. I am thankful for the sacrifice of Jesus. I believe. I turn away from my sins. I surrender the way I think to you. We preach that. We understand that the church was born of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. You know, some people says the Word of God was made by the church. Here we see the church was born when the Spirit came and when Peter preached what? The Word of God, the gospel. Then people came and they were baptized in water. Therefore, I would make the argument that it was the Word of God and the Spirit of God that gave birth to the church of Jesus Christ. And the church is not what? It's not a building. And it is not a religious order. The very word church means a people called out, called forth. Those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ. If somebody tells you, unless you're a member of a certain church, you shall not be saved, then that's a lie. That is not in Scripture. What shall we do to be saved? Peter said, repent. After he preached the gospel to them, now change your mind about what you think. Believe what I said. Repent and be baptized. So what gave birth to the church? The Spirit of God and the Word of God. And what is that word, the gospel? What is the gospel? The centrality of Christ. The promise of His coming. What is that? His suffering, death, and resurrection as the Lamb of God, innocent, sinless. The only person, like in the Old Testament, fulfilled that an innocent lamb or animal must take place, must suffer for our sins, for their sins. He is the perfect sacrifice. Therefore, there is forgiveness through repentance. The church was not born of men, it was born of God. Thus, the gospel must be the central message. Nothing else should be primary. Of course, in church, we talk about many things. We talk about the wisdom literature as well. So we are guided how to live. We talk about uh, uh, family relationships. We talk about that in church every now and then we do. But we always go back to the central message. Mga kapatid, huwag niyong pag-asasawaan yung death and resurrection ni Kristo. Pag nagsasawa ka sa pandinig mo niyan, may problema ka. It means it doesn't mean anything to you. It's just like an old movie. Sawa ka na. No, no, my friends, never. If you understand it, every morning you will thank God for it. Fourth, let me show what we can do in terms of application here. Prayer is significant. So we continuously pray for the work of God to continue. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on the Holy Spirit who fills us continuously. We must be faithful to preach the gospel. And today, what can we do? Proclaim online. 
Yes, we may share our messages on your wall, but make sure it's a gospel. Please do not repost something that is not clearly the gospel or pretending to be the gospel. And then I do believe there are many barangays all over Kamsur and Bicol that is still COVID-free. We form neighborhood house churches, easier for contact tracing, and then we build communities. If there are two or three couples, three couples committed to just meet together and pray and talk about God's word, to grow together and somehow to bless their neighborhood steadily, slowly, I do believe more people will come to the Lord. It is a patient process. But these are the things we can do. The birth of the church and the church continued to grow. And until today, we have to continue. But then today, as 2,000 years have passed, we continue to hope in the coming of the Lord. And then what? We look back. In the Old Testament times, they kept looking forward for the promise. Now we keep looking back at what Jesus did. And of course, one day, the hope of the glory of the coming of the Lord and us being ushered into his rest, we look forward to that. Either we die here or he comes and we meet him. In ending, I'd like to share two stanzas of poetry. The 120, they prayed as one. For the one promised by the Son, your spirit came with tongues of fire, seen by those who came from afar. Bold and courageous, Peter preached Christ's true gospel to the unreached. The work continues till this day, night and day, we labor and pray. Let us all rise as we close. Lord, thank you. We pray that your gospel would mean something to us. For those whom you have called, it will burn in our hearts. For you have promised through Jeremiah, I will give them a new heart. So we pray, Lord, give us a new heart. As we proclaim the gospel, the suffering, death, and resurrection of Christ, and the meaning of that we must explain. And that we should proclaim repentance and forgiveness. And for those who hear, we pray, Holy Spirit, touch their hearts, transform. Not merely inspire, but transform. Men can inspire, but we cannot transform. We cannot give them a new heart. We are limited. Yet we will obey as you commanded us. Our part we will do. And it is you who moves through us as well. Yet, Holy Spirit, we pray, transform our hearts, renew our minds, renew our hearts. May the gospel be true in us. In the birth of your church, we realize that it is about the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. And teach us to rely on the Holy Spirit always, every day, humbly seeking, asking, yet also the Word of God being anchored and being guided. For we believe that your Spirit works with the Word of God in our minds and hearts. And your Spirit works 
with the Word of God planted in the minds of people. We also see that your disciples prayed and they boldly proclaimed. So we pray, Lord, that we may pray devotedly, continuously, and that we may be bold. Thank you, Lord. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of His Spirit be with you all. God's people say, Amen. Good night. Good morning. <laughs>